Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4 Triple Z Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of Zed Games, Australia's greatest gaming radio program. I'm, I think that's right. Uh, if you have another gaming radio program and you wish to fight us, uh, get in touch. We can arrange that. Uh, <laughs> we are coming to you live from the 4ZZZ studios in Brisbane, which is probably where this is going to go down. But you might be listening to us around the nation on the community radio network. I am Lee, and joining me in the studio tonight with my back, you know, in case stuff goes down. There's Razor. Oh, I've got your back, do I? Lee. <laughs> Jeez. Do you often issue physical challenges to people on my behalf? Only other... Because that's not cool with me. Only other radio shows. Okay. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, <laughs> those radio dweebs. We can, we can take them. <laughs> like, look at us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Jody McGregor as well. Hello. Who is, like, he seems pretty confident. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen those AV guys? Like yeah. video game nerds, I think, are at least half a step up the rung in terms of like, physical, physical capability. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Jody's six foot one. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And he weighs like 200 pounds. I don't even know what that is. He's very physically competent. Uh, <laughs> what's happening on the show, apart from the beating that we're about to receive? Uh, Lee, you have been playing a game called Blues and Bullets. It's an episodic uh, noir adventure game. Starring Elliot Ness. Yes. A.K.A. The guy from The Untouchables. You know, Kevin Costner. Ah. <laughs> sweet. Yes. Jody, you have been playing Might and Magic Heroes the 7th. Yes, that's right. It's... um. A turn-based fantasy strategy game in a venerable old series that's been around for about 20 years now. Mm. Yeah, and it's still kicking. But before all that, let's get to the week in gaming news headlines. Uh, Mr. Jody McGregor? Sure thing. Microsoft has announced a new Xbox One bundle that includes a one terabyte solid-state hybrid hard drive. The drive stores frequently used files on the solid-state partition and boots up 20% faster. The bundle will be out in November. I actually really like the look of this thing because it also comes with the super fancy new controller that they released that has all the bits that you can replace. Like every single part of it is a magnetic lever that you can replace with an even more complicated thing. Wow. Is this like the Elite controller thing? Yeah, yeah, that one. Right. Yeah. It has like paddles on the back so you can use all of your fingers and never have to take your thumbs off the thumbsticks. You know, if you're really... You need those those thumbsticks. So that's for competitive gamers and crazy people. Exactly, <laughs> yes. So yes. which of those categories are you in, Lee? Uh, probably the latter. But unfortunately, I don't have the, uh, the Scrooge McDuck bin full of gold coins and probably won't be able to afford the elite edition of the Xbox One. Alas. Alas. How many buttons does your mouse have, by the way? Uh, like, a lot. <laughs> like... 14 at least. Yeah, that's crazy. No, that's, that's yeah. really useful. Sure. An upcoming software update for the PlayStation 4 will allow players to stream their games using the brand new YouTube Gaming. The feature will be included in firmware update 3.0 scheduled for rollout later this year. Did you guys see also that uh, uh, people who have a contract as Twitch streamers, if they use YouTube Gaming, that's... that null and voids their contract and huh. their, their business model is destroyed. I did not see that. Yeah. Mm. 
The battle lines have been drawn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I get such terrible performance out of Twitch. I'm kind of looking forward to YouTube gaming just because of how hard it is to stream Twitch in Australia. It's it's really, for some reason, it's just still really slow here uh, in comparison. Whereas if I stream something like a concert over YouTube, it comes over fine. Yeah. Mm. Are you talking about viewing streams? Both. Yeah. Like, uh, I know people who've tried to upload stuff to Twitch, and it takes even longer than it takes to upload stuff to YouTube with Australia's ridiculous internet. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just not possible. Mm. So I find it hard to get excited about streaming, whether streaming myself or watching other people. Uh, it's just can't happen for me. My internet sucks. Oh. You yeah. do live like out in the bush though. Yeah. Your internet is like a can on a string. Yeah. Not even attached to anything else. <laughs> That's the tragedy. Yeah, but there's a lot of people out there like me yep. with the string and the can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. hope for an upgrade soon. The organizers of a Pokemon-themed party for attendees of Seattle's PAX Prime convention last weekend are now facing a $150,000 fine for copyright infringement. The party was cancelled as soon as the suit was filed, and 200 potential Pokemon partygoers were refunded the entrance fee of $2 each. The lawsuit has not been withdrawn despite the fact that the party didn't go ahead. The Pokemon company has yet to provide a comment on the matter. Wow. Let's yeah. <laughs> let's be thankful we never threw any kind of <laughs> Pokemon-themed party yeah. here at the height of our Pokemania. Yeah. The polite... Well, not polite, but the civil thing to do is to issue a cease and desist order. Yeah. Which is like, okay, you, you guys can't do that because it's wrong. And you're, but here they just they just launched into the lawsuit. Like the lawsuit has been filed. Yeah. These are a bunch of guys that just wanted people to dress up as Pokemon and they were charging $2 a head for 200 people. You know, I don't think these guys have the 150K uh, that <laughs> they're chasing. Yeah, like way to not issue a warning shot, you know, (laughs) just to launch straight into that. Particularly at people who are having a party to celebrate their love of Pokemon and all things Pokemon. Uh, You you don't want to upset 200 of your fans all at once and then, you know, all of the many, many other fans who latched onto this news article. It seems poor form. Yeah, I don't think... It's sort of in trying to protect their assets, I think they may have damaged them somewhat with this suit. Like, inadvertently. I bet they've just made 200 fans of Digimon, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, Digimon are the champions. <laughs> there was, I think the, the main issue they had, the Pokemon company had, was the fact that they were charging for the event, and they also used uh, copyrighted images of the Pokemon characters to promote the event. They had two pictures of Pokemon on yeah. their poster, yes. And they yeah. were covering the cost of the venue or drinks or something. <laughs> So they were in the wrong, but yeah, cease and desist is the way to go. A man from Florida, USA, has been caught trying to steal a PS4 console by stuffing it down his pants. The man was in a Walmart store when he allegedly removed the console from the box and put it inside his trousers along with various accessories. Unsurprisingly, he was caught in the act by a store policeman. Oh, Florida man. You were the the worst superhero in the world. (laughs) It's a funny image to try and picture in your head, isn't it? Like, what sort of pants would that gentleman have been wearing? (laughs) (laughs) Like, full-on Kevin Smith pants, I think. Yeah, he shoved them down the side of his jorts, and he was fine. And he got, like, accessories in there as well. What's that? Like, controllers or what? I guess. Like, unless it's, like, the... The the PS moves he shot those <laughs> because that's suggestive, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Now, Blues and Bullets is an episodic noir adventure game that's out for Windows and Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee, you've been playing it. Yeah. How yeah. are you finding it so far? I then? have played through the first episode, and it is weird as heck and uh, incredibly ambitious and a whole lot of fun. It's it's slow and janky in places, but that's kind of part of the charm as well. So it is... Uh, it's set in the, I think, the 50s. Uh, you are playing as an aging Elliot Ness, who you may recall as being part of the... He was a federal agent who was assigned to bringing down Al Capone and generally erroneously uh, recorded as being the person who led the team that brought him down, even though he was actually brought down for his tax evasion. Um, but... Uh, Elliot Ness, you were playing him years later after he runs a diner uh, in a weird alternate history where everything is black and white but with, like, red highlighted objects, just like that scene in uh, Schindler's List. Or Sin City. Or in Sin City, yes. Yes, exactly, like that. (laughs) So how far into alternate history does it go? Okay, um, the first time that I knew... Well, actually, no, because it's set after a point where Elliot Ness died. So mm-hmm. firstly, that didn't happen. Yep. Uh, the second thing that doesn't happen, I don't think this is a big spoiler, is that Al Capone doesn't die in prison either. Right. And the third thing that I know that uh, from history that doesn't happen is that the Hindenburg doesn't crash horribly. Oh, the humanity, oh, the humanity. And in fact, a uh, deranged and eccentric billionaire instead takes the near crashing of the Hindenburg and uh, turns that turns the Hindenburg itself into a, a luxury uh, like billionaire's playground hotel far above the the city um, and that fellow's name is a Ryan so <laughs> you know you, you may <laughs> start to understand some of the influences that uh, this game is riffing off. It's not alternate history if there aren't Zeppelins. Yeah. Zeppelins or Nazis. <laughs> you have to have at least one of the two. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm still expecting Nazis at some point. As as I mentioned, the palette for this game is limited entirely to white, grey, black, and red, which, you know, that's the uniform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is that effective, do you think, in conveying the mood of the game? Uh, look, I think it's fun. It's not annoying. Um, it's a bit weird in places. Um, I think it, it certainly makes the game have its own distinctive look. It certainly definitely conjures up that weird na- Nazi imagery, which <laughs> like it hasn't referenced yet. So I think it's, it's an odd combination of colors, yeah. ultimately. So we're just talking about the first episode. This is a planned five-part series, or...? That's right, yeah. yes. So uh, in the first episode, you are charged with uh, tracking down a missing person, a missing child. And uh, over the course of your adventure, you will encounter strange old enemies in new places, and you will... Uh, encounter a gruesome uh, murder scene um, and you have to solve that and the the solving of that is a real highlight in the midst of this just endless weirdness. So how does the mystery solving stuff work? Are you 
hunting for clues? Is it like a point-and-click pixel hunt kind of thing? Uh, so it plays out. You've got direct control over your avatar, um, and you're looking around in an environment. It feels a little bit like a combination of like the Telltale-style adventure games uh, mixed with the what I think was the best part of L.A. Noire, where you were on location looking for clues and then figuring out how, how to piece those together. Um, and it does one additional thing, which is that once you, as you're going around the environment looking for clues in each new location or just as you progress, uh, you have this, this board, this metaphysical crime board, and you're answering questions about first what the sequence of events was, what the motivation was, whether there was a witness, you know, um, things like that. And so you are looking through this environment, taking note of things. Sometimes you'll be manipulating objects and turning them around, trying to find, you know, the actual, like, valuable bit of the corpse that will that will yield a clue. And then uh, each thing that you look at will turn into a photograph that you apply to the different sections of this this metaphysical crime board and once you solve one branch another one might extend out beyond that it's it's actually really clever um, and it made me feel like a smart person solving a crime when I was doing it so kudos to them I've not really encountered anything that that worked in just this way before it sounds kind of like the way that murdered soul suspects work, the way game where you're a ghost detective in New Orleans, mm. only in that you would find all of these clues and then you would have to pick which ones were the most relevant to answer some question, like who was the witness or whatever. Right. Uh, you might actually have solved the crime yourself from looking at the clues, but then you had to do this annoying thing after the fact where you tell the game how you've solved it by saying, well, these are the important clues, and sometimes they seemed arbitrary uh, okay yeah um, this I think actually is uh, I, I didn't ever really hit a point where I felt like I knew what was going on but the game wasn't letting me progress That's it good. was really logically designed that you know you I, I was first solving this question and that led to this next one and then because of the way that the environment is cleverly put together as you move from room to room you actually solve the the puzzle along the way. So it, it felt very, very natural. I was quite impressed with just the fact that this you know, arbitrary plugging in of details was uh, built around progressing through a room uh, in a in a you know linear fashion. So it felt good. Like doing it a second time would just be kind of a pain in the ass, obviously. But um, but I don't need to do that a second time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's no incentive to replay the mission like there are in Telltale games where you might want to see whether you know letting a character die or not, et cetera, happen? Well, there actually are several points throughout the game where you do get to make weird choices like that. Uh, and, you know, the game tells you that you've made a decision. Some of them are not paying off as yet. Others sort of do. Uh, actually, no, there's, there's one big one. Um, where you, oh yeah, here's, so here's another, another point where history diverges, which is that uh, you see a flashback to a Christmas during the closing end of the investigation into the bootlegging and you know, mobster crimes of Al Capone, where Elliot Ness has suffered a personal loss and is drunk on Christmas Eve and he just decides that he's going to go into Al Capone's mansion and shoot up the place, and the game turns into 
a competent enough third-person cover shooter where you are playing as a federal agent who is just murdering, like, 16 dudes with machine guns and blowing up barrels of explosive liquid in in a manner, Mm -hmm. like at the end of a street, while drunk. It's amazing. (laughs) Like, I I assumed that this was just, like, a surreal storytelling bit, like a reimagining, but no, at the conclusion of this, there's a confrontation with, with Al Capone where you, you make a bunch of decisions about how you're going to approach him. Um, maybe you might even get the chance to shoot him. I, I didn't because by that stage I, I sort of thought like maybe, maybe I had broken some laws. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd, I'd killed like 12 dudes already. Um, and and I, I figured that you know, I would probably have to do a lot of paperwork then. <laughs> um, you know, and maybe if you were to play through, you would think that, look, you, you want to at least justify the murder of those 12 other men by making sure that Al Capone was dead at least. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a really weird moment. I think that was the first time that I, I sort of figured that things weren't going to just follow the natural course of history with this game. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I went back and I looked at Wikipedia because I was like, did Elliot Ness just go ape shit? You know, one Christmas Eve and shoot up Alcom? <laughs> no, he did not. He did not do that. I'm, I'm sure I would have remembered if Kevin Costner did that in the movie. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hello, you're listening to Zed Games. That was Chippocrit with Beat Reporter, and we are talking about the first episode of Episodic Noir Adventure Game Blues and Bullets. Yeah. You said before that it's in a sort of an alternate history mm-hmm. where uh, there are still Zeppelins and Elliot Ness occasionally goes on a shooting rampage. <laughs> is he is he still like the Elliot Ness that people might vaguely recognize from history? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like Elliot Ness was a, basically a straight shooter. Uh, apart, apart from, from the booze. Yeah, yeah. The, but but that, that is also kind of historically accurate, that at the conclusion of that case, uh, he became a drunk and failed at a number of other jobs and then eventually died penniless, having written the first draft of The Untouchables with someone, and that became obscenely popular when it was released posthumously. Um, you, you know, this does feel like a man who... 20 years ago was a federal agent who was obsessed with maintaining the law and has now you know got a a life where he runs a diner and makes burgers for abusive police officers you you get (laughs) it one of the first choices you get is like there's this fat corrupt cop who's shouting at you while you're talking to a friend and you get to choose whether you um you put too much chili sauce in his burger uh and i I didn't in this. Why not? Well, I was you know, wanting to play a nice guy, and I didn't realize how much of a jerk he was. Like, he just kind of shouts abuse at you at first, and then you go over there, and you're handing him the burger. And he just goes on and on and on about how he's, like, beating a suspect, uh, even <laughs> though he said he wasn't going to beat the suspect, okay. and how much fun he had beating the suspect. And then you get to respond by being sarcastic or whatever. And I really regretted not putting any hot sauce in his burger. Yeah. And then 
And then at the conclusion of this, after I had been snarky to him, he tells me that my burger was, I believe his words were, dry as shit because there wasn't enough sauce in there anyway. (laughs) So first, you know, like I'm going to play through just to overload that thing. I hope that I... I never have to release the button that stops <laughs> squeezing the sauce out. This is like a quick time event. You can keep going and yeah, going. Yeah, like it's just the trigger that you just hold in. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's hilarious. I don't think I could resist putting too much chili sauce in someone's like sandwich in real life, <laughs> let alone in a game where there are no consequences. You monster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Blues and Bullets. Yes. Um, are you excited about the rest of the... Episodes like does it finish on a in a bang or something? Yeah, the the ending is I don't want to spoil it, but they they hold back, and then the rest of their budget is used on this magnificent surprise at the conclusion, uh, and then you also see this little epilogue, which is super super creepy because as you're going through this investigation, you realize that some kind of occult activity is going on that involves kidnapped children. And the last thing that you get to do is make a series of weird decisions as a small child at the behest of a, a deer skull-headed cult creature. And um, I have no idea what the hell these things are going to result in. I can only assume it's the way that I personally will die. Uh, <laughs> probably. It's really weird. Um, so I'm I'm really keen to see how this plays out because... This first episode was surprisingly good. I, you know, it is very, very slow to begin with. It feels almost Lynchian in its obsession with diners and with characters talking about what their secret ingredient is in their blueberry pie. Hmm. And then it suddenly starts getting into Zeppelins and weird drunken shootouts and solving incredibly grisly murders and like trying to figure out where the guy's hands are, stuff like that. Uh, so I, I I don't know where they're going to go next with this. It could go anywhere at all. Man, that's crazy. I've got to say I am intrigued. Yeah. I'm actually quite excited to play the game now. It sounds really, really cool. Uh, what's astounding, though, is that this is just the first game of a like a basically unknown small studio, right? Yeah, this is like a, a tiny team of Spanish guys uh, called the Gang of Monsters. Um, and... Yeah, a crowd of monsters. And God, you know, I, I don't know what they did before this. I assume a lot of drugs or something <laughs> because it's it's amazing. The other great thing about it as well, like that I think is is cool for me and maybe other people, is that the voice actor for Elliot Ness is the same as the voice actor for uh, Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher games, which, you know, that guy is basically my favorite character in yeah. the world. Well, that just pushed me over from maybe to yes. Yeah. So and, there you go. And he's basically playing <laughs> the same kind of character, which is someone who is, you know, old and tired and then has to go out and solve other people's weird monster problems. So, yeah, this mm. is what if Geralt retired <laughs> okay. and, and ran a diner <laughs> and then had to solve cult murders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because The Witcher was kind of a detective story as well, in a way. Frequently, yeah. yes. So just assume that this is a weird offshoot. Cool. So that's Blues and Bullets, the first episode. Mm. Uh, it just came out last week for the Xbox One. It's been out for a little while for the PC. Now, as per uh, Z Games policy, we'll uh, come back to 
Blues and Bullets after the conclusion of the uh, the series. Yeah. Yep. So that'll be in. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully soon. You're listening to Zed Games. Uh, Now, Jody, you have been playing Might and Magic Hero 7. That's right. I've been playing the beta version of it. It's not actually out until the end of this month, but uh, Ubisoft have had a couple of rounds of closed beta where people can test out their new turn-based fantasy strategy game. The, uh, The... Heroes of Might and Magic series goes back to 1995, so it's the, the 20th anniversary, and uh, the new one of what is now called the Might and Magic Heroes series, because Ubisoft bought it a few years back and liked to confuse everyone, Yeah, um, is very true to what the series has traditionally been about. So this is a game of three parts. On the one hand, it's a game about managing cities, and adding new buildings to your cities, which can then give you access to new troop types and things like that. Then it's also an adventure game where the hero who leads your army charges off across a map and gets you some resources and attacks some monsters and finds some gold and levels up. And then it's the tactical game where uh, when you hit a big wall of monsters, your hero transforms into a whole army and a chess sort of square grid appears and then you have the turn-based battle side of it which is sort of the the heart of it even though the other stuff has become sort of prettier and shinier over the years until it's actually a significant part of the appeal because as a, as an actual combat game it's still pretty simplistic yeah. it's never really got very complicated even though they've added stuff to it each of your units on the field of battle is just represented by one animated crossbow man or pixie or dryad or whatever with a little number above his head that tells you whether you have like three or 63 crossbow men or whatever and when they attack each other it's that number above the head that really determines how effective they are it's just sort of throwing stacks of dudes yeah. And hoping you have more dudes in your stacks. That was the gameplay that I remember from, you know, my apparently 20 years of playing this series because we're all old and falling to pieces. It always ends up being that by the end of the game, you just have this massive army with 100 griffins in it and like yes. 100 archers. And then you hope that you have the biggest numbers and the other person has fewer numbers. And then at the end... Maybe some of your numbers are lower, but theirs are gone. Ha-ha. And it never really felt like there was much strategy beyond ensuring that you had 100 griffins while they had fewer than 100 griffins. And if they had fewer than 100 griffins, your 100 griffins were always going to be, you know, that was that was going to be better. Mm. Yeah, there's not a huge amount. There is some positioning involved, like you'll get a damage bonus for flanking Mm. your enemies in this one. So actually getting to the side or even better, all the way around behind them, you will cause more damage even if you have less griffins or whatever. Uh, And your hero gets to lurk at the edge of the battlefield and then once per turn do something, whether it's attack or cast a spell. They're not actually present on the battlefield. They just swoop in or zap down with a spell. They're like a a general on a hill. 
somewhere off in the distance. You also have war machines that you can have off the edge of the battlefield as well, whether it's like a catapult or a, a healing tent that will magically heal your dryads or whatever halfway through the battle. But yeah, it is still, as a combat game, mm. pretty straightforward. The adventure stuff I always enjoyed. I loved traveling around the map and finding you would go to, like all of the, the things on the map would ha- have this kind of twee little representation of like, you know, the, the the fantasy cute things would be really, really cute. Like there'd be like little fawns playing lutes under a tree and then there would be gross spiders in in caves and stuff. How does it, it handle that in this new era of 3D graphics and fancy effects? Uh, the gross stuff still looks super gross. The cute stuff is a little bit less cute. Occasionally yeah. you'll get like some pixies floating around but uh, nobody plays musical instruments while they're chilling waiting for you to come along and either recruit or bash the hell out of them oh man because there were like actual rainbows in Mm. at least the first five editions of this game yeah I I have not seen a rainbow yet although this is still the beta maybe (laughs) maybe rainbows will come in the next uh, update yeah that's in the the point you know, 1.0 release version of this game. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I also hope that they make the AI turns go a bit faster mm. because they're really slow in this one. It's always been, uh, you know, as a turn-based game, you have to just sort of sit there and wait while your enemies race around their corner of the map, killing goblins or whatever. But the turns in this take even longer than they normally do. And yeah. since you can have up to eight players on the same map, whether human or AI. If you've got like seven AI on the map, it takes a real long time. Like it takes, even if it's one-on-one, it's a few minutes of waiting for their turn. And then I tried playing like me versus three computers and it was taking three times as long. So I really hope they fix that. It's the the biggest and most obvious problem with man, this what, one. What are they doing? Like, did you get beaten by these guys that were no, taking I won. their time? Oh, man. I don't know what they were doing. They were just faffing around like idiots. Maybe they weren't paying attention. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, the, the AI is not a genius. I was playing on the normal difficulty, and uh, I took their city, which means they have seven turns to take a city back or they lose. Yeah. And their heroes just sort of ran around like headless chickens in between my city and their city, never actually deciding which one they were going to attack. And then the seven turns were up and they all just evaporated and I won. It's kind of anticlimactic. Uh. I never even tried like one last push against whichever of my two cities was the weaker. Lame. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you were that intimidating though. Yeah, obviously. I'm just that badass with my 100 pixies. Yeah. And we have discussed that you are at least six foot three. (laughs) (laughs) It's not out in full until September the 29th. This is just the the second round of the closed beta that I got in on uh, super early. So only four of the six armies that are going to be in the game were available, and the campaign mode wasn't there yet, which for me is a significant part of the appeal. Um, Some of the early games in the series, like the fifth one, which is probably my favorite, have these ridiculously over-the-top Uh, epic fantasy storylines only the cutscenes are all populated by just enlarged close-ups of the tiny little animated 3D guys who run around on the map during the the battles and they have this weird Thunderbirds marionette thing going on because they're obviously just designed to look cool you know 
from a distance. Half a centimeter tall, <laughs> smacking a huge tree monster on your screen, and then they fill your entire monitor and start explaining some garbage about the prophecy or whatever, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like B-movie awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately that isn't a part of what I got to play, so I didn't get to see that. Yeah. That's, that's what, a shame. what factions did you get a chance to play? Are they the, um, the usual? Yeah, they are. I tried as the Sylvan, who are the elves mm-hmm. uh, with all of their fairy friends, and also as Academy, who are the magic sort of pseudo-Arabic guys who have flying carpets and a lot of gargoyles and golems and magical constructs. And jinns as well, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, those guys are fun. Yeah, they are pretty fun. So and, and the spell effects do look neat. Like mm-hmm. I was summoning blizzards and throwing waves of water at the enemies and uh, and that stuff it did actually look really neat. So what else are we expecting? There would be Inferno is the Hell Army? Yeah, I think they're saving that for DLC, oh, but really? they're, they're going to add... Uh, Necropolis, who are the undead, yes. and Stronghold, who are like the barbarians and orcs. Oh, okay. So those two are going to be in the full game, but only six armies at launch. So right. if any more come, it'll be probably in- DLC. Interesting choice. I always like playing as the undead because yeah, me too. Uh, the they had the ability to resurrect anyone that you killed and anyone that was killed in your army as more skeletons, mm-hmm. and it eventually. You just, even though skeletons were the worst, if you have a million skeletons, it doesn't matter how cool your dragon is, he will drown in skeletons. Yeah, that was very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you get to drown anyone in skeletons? Well, no, because uh, Necropolis weren't one of the armies available in the beta. Damn so, them. Yeah, no one did. Oof. Are you looking forward to the full release? I am hopeful still that they managed to fix the issues with the AI and give it a really solid campaign mode because that is what I want from a new Might and Magic game. Okay, fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Jody, for that review of the beta of Might and Magic Hero 7, which is a PC-only game coming at the end of this month. And that's all we have time for for this episode of Zed Games, guys. Uh, Thank you very much for your company. We'll be back next week at the same time. Uh, Now, Lee... If people are interested in the program, where should they head to on online to get more info? Why they should go to uh, zgamesau.com Net? Org? Which Net. one? Net. You had it right. Net.net. Net. Go there. Yes. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, Facebook slash ZGamesAU. You should find us there. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.